Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Genesis chapter 19. I'm going to read through and then we'll talk. It says in verse 1, The two angels arrived in Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and enter his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city in Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him, and he said, No, my friends, do not do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied. And they said, This fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. And they kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved toward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law only thought he was joking. When the, With the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hands and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives, don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee away to the mountains, or you will be swept away. But Lot said to them, No, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes, and you have shown great kindness to me in sparing my life, but I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me, and I'll die. Look, here is a town near enough to run to, and it is small. Let me flee to it. It is very small, isn't it? Then my life will be spared. He said to him, Very well, I will grant this request, too. I will not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly, because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town is called Zor. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. The Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities in the entire plain, including those, all those living in the cities, and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. I uh, think I should go ahead and finish the rest, or... We'll stop there. I'll say we'll stop there. It's, uh, chapter... Verse 27. Oh, wow. You did that fast. Yes. Uh, okay, so... Uh, some basic quick commentary I'd like to point out... Um, the Lord stayed behind. In the previous chapter, there were three men, uh, and Abraham ran out to meet them, and he invited them into his house. And 
these two angels go ahead and the Lord stays behind and talks to Abraham and it's I find it interesting that uh, as they're going into the city Lot runs up to meet these angels the same way Abraham ran up to meet them on the road in the previous chapter and it just shows, shows a similar heart and a similar faith and then it's also interesting that it it becomes a theme in the Bible. Uh, it, says, it says when he brought them into their house, he prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. And in the next book of the Bible, God commands the Israelites to make bread without unleavened bread and uh, made with bitter herbs. And it's the Passover because his wrath is coming on the land. And he says, the way I want you to eat this meal is with your sandals on your feet and your cloak tucked into your belt. He says, this is the way you are to eat the feast. Be prepared to run at any moment. You know, eat it in haste. And uh, that's also interesting. And then you say, uh, let's see. It says, all of the men in Sodom come and surround Lot's house. I'm, I'm picturing a city, but it can't be a very big one. So uh, these towns are relatively small, but they're so incredibly wicked. And I'm not going to defend Lot's behavior. He, he says, I, I don't know, some sort of cultural... Uh, courtesy thing he insists on protecting the men and then throwing his daughters at the people of the town Uh, I don't know what's going on in Lot's head but I don't excuse it and I don't think if you read the rest of the Bible anything else in there excuses that as behavior proper behavior between a father and his children and it's certainly not the behavior God demonstrates as us that we're to imitate for him. Uh, so if anybody reads this chapter and thinks, oh, well, since Lot did it, that means we should do it. No. Old Testament is, is it's history. It is telling you what happened. It's not trying to teach you something. And... Uh, then, let's well, see. And ultimately, what was he doing? He was calling out judgment on the people. <clears throat> he was judging them. Uh, yeah. they, that's what they eventually were, were saying back to him, is why are you coming to be the judge of us? Mm. And why did they say that? You know? Right. <laughs> and then uh, what we see in the next few verses are interesting and a little even more condemning, so, I think. Because you have people who uh, you what, what you have is a picture of the whole world and the whole world is destined to destruction and doom and God sends evangelicals out into it and says get out of the world get out of it get out of its sinfulness mm. run to me run to Jesus and we'll save you and you see people who think they're joking people who just don't take it and then uh, they hesitate even the ones who are faithful who believe the message they hesitate and the angels have to grasp them by the hands and the hands of the wife and the daughters and drag them kicking and screaming out of their sin into safety the safety of God and then even upon being in salvation 
it's like God's pointing at the promised land again to the Israelites there's an illusion here and he says run to the mountains the mountains where it is safe and uh, Lot has the audacity to say no no don't send me up to where you have declared it is safe uh, let me stay in the world or something like the world can we meet halfway God it was almost it was almost seemed he goes there'll be some evil that will overtake me in the mountains it's almost yes. like he's scared that maybe there'll be some wildebeest or something in the I mountains don't know. or like a bear that'll come and eat him some evil inside the mountain itself mine actually the King James says there was some evil will overtake him there and Which I think sometimes was we, a little prophetic in his way. <laughs> it's like you're ex- when they you're, do get to the mountains, you're evil escaping all them. this evil of the city. That's true evil. And then you're going to the mountain. You're like scared of a bear or something. You know, yeah. I can see myself thinking like that. You know, like oh, don't send me to the mountain. It's such a scary place to be. And guys, like seriously, you're scared of a uh, you know a wild coyote or something. I mean, come on, this this city is way worse than that. <laughs> I don't. I. I and I think there is something unique about the mountains. I think if you dig deep into the scripture where it talks about mountains, you know, Jesus, he would go up to the mountains um, to pray. You got Moses going into the mountain to meet God. The ark landed on a mountain. There's, there's Moses got the Ten Commandments Yeah. Um, on the mountains. There's something about... And even Jesus, when he's prophesying uh, the end times, he says, flee to the mountains. He says, uh, "Don't, don't go down." Well, let's see. What does he say? Uh, you will hear wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. Nation rise, much nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And he says, "See." When you see the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea, Judea flee to the mountains. No, let no one on the housetop go down to take anything out of the house. Don't even save your possessions. No, no, let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful will it be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers? Pray that your flight will not take place in the winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. Mm-hmm. And that's Jesus' prophecy of the end times and uh, destruction. And you have something that certainly Lot has never seen before and will never see again. And clearly he understands. He saw the angels uh, strike the men with blindness, a supernatural act right in front of him. And yet still he's hesitating. I think this whole chapter is a demonstration to us about salvation, about wrath, about the depravity of sin. People just don't take sin seriously. They don't take it seriously. And they don't take God's wrath seriously. They think, oh, that's something for tomorrow. That's something we'll deal with. I will sin today and God will forgive me tomorrow. And to this town, God says, no, tonight your life will be demanded of you. And then what? And uh, the the bill comes due, and he spares Lot and his family, and uh, obviously we see it's not because Lot's terribly a great person. I think it's mostly because Abraham spoke on his behalf, and 
Yeah, it talks about that later. Yeah. But the whole thing is a demonstration of salvation. And everything that comes in the moment, you can't hesitate. You can't take it jokingly. Uh, and you can't bargain with God. God is so gracious to these people this whole time. And then once you are in, once God has met you where you're at and allotted for your sinfulness, you can't look back. Lot's wife looks back. She doesn't even get a name, I don't think, mentioned in the scripture. She's just referred to Lot's wife. She's denied personhood almost in a way simply because she looked back and she became this pillar of salt salt that when it touches the earth the the soil becomes arid and dead and you can't grow anything in it all life is destroyed and the potential for life is destroyed and I'm reminded of that verse in Luke uh, what is it chapter 9 verse uh, well down it says 62. Still another man said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replies, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. And he tells him, look, there is a cost. There is a cost for following me. There is a cost for everything. And it is consistent throughout the Gospels. In order to live in God... You have to die to the world. You can't be friends with both. You can't ride the fence. Yeah. And we certainly try that, don't we? If you go to John chapter 2, verse 15, John says it very succinctly. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has... And he does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. And I think at one time Jesus said, uh, you cannot serve two masters. And we see here people who didn't, didn't understand. And then we have people whose hearts weren't in it. And... We just see, I, I think the whole reason, I mean, God has been smiting evil since the dawn of time, but this story makes it into the Bible specifically so that we'll see the train wreck of mistakes and qualities that we are not meant to embody or an example we are not to follow. A few of the things that come out to me in this verse, and I'll be interested to see where Sean takes some of these. So, Sarah, just before this, God comes to Sarah and Abraham and, and announces a blessing. There's going to be a child. Um, a blessing for, you know, generations to come. A seed from Abraham and his generations through this child. Um, many will come. Then, you see in chapter 19, and it seems to be a biblical um, example throughout scriptures. This happens continually. You'll see a blessing, but then you'll see a curse. And so he comes to Lot, and he's going to destroy the city. And then Lot's wife, instead of getting a baby, which is a blessing, she ends up getting death. And it seems to me that that is, 
is the inherited trait that they have back in Genesis is this idea of death because of personal choice to look back to sin, to choose death, to choose death over life. So you're either going to get a blessing or you're going to get a curse, and it, it seems to follow that pattern throughout in, uh, throughout Scripture. As you want to say in Deuteronomy, where God says, I put before you life and death. Yeah, and blessing evil. or curse. You know, choose which way you want to live. But I think that's important because uh, what as as we walk through life, what... What type of uh, gifts do we want to receive from God? The good gifts which he gives? Or do we want to receive death that comes as a result of sin? And I think that's what we have to remember about these stories is is what happens. Um, and another thing, I think it was interesting that all the men came out, <laughs> the young and old, and uh, they wanted to know uh, these two angels. Right. Intimately, this was this is something wicked, almost like rape or sexual sin. And uh, what does what does Lot do? Behold, now he says in verse eight, I have two daughters which I have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do you to them as as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore come they under the shadow of my roof. And what do the people say? And they said, Stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now we will deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man. Even Lot came near to break the door. So what happened there? I mean, all he was saying to them was, um, bring them out to you. Do ye unto them as it is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. And, and they count that as judgment? He didn't want them to touch these men. That was ju- he was judging him, and then he offers his daughter. And uh, I, I don't. The, the point of this was these the the people were so wicked that when Lot said, "Don't do this evil thing to these men," they were like, "You you you see this as evil?" Yeah. And he, are you kidding me? This this is the normal thing. We have passed laws, you know. We we have we have same sex marriage here. Are you kidding me? This is not evil. I'm, I'm I'm taking it to a 21st century. Oh well, idea. First, first century yeah. idea, obviously. It's a first century idea, and it comes all the way to 21st century. I mean, these are all men. I think it was very clear there were no women there, and these women, these men wanted well, nothing. They wanted nothing to do with these women. Do you think that may have been one of the reasons why this city was destroyed? And why why well, Lot was sitting there going, here, take these women. Almost like, hey, take these women. You wicked people won't even want a woman. That's how wicked you are. It's almost like Job was testing him and judging them because he says right here, you're being the judge. You said Job, it's Lot. Or Lot, I mean. Lot, you're being the judge. But uh, Anyway, I yeah. thought that was unique. That came out to me. You know, concerning the sinfulness, you're right. It is 21st century thing. The only difference is... We've civilized sinfulness, and we've polished it, (laughs) and we've made it pretty and polite. And these men were more honest and open and transparent about it. We take evil, and we put it, we dress it up in good righteousness clothes. And if you say anything about it today, what are people going to say? Don't judge me. Christians Christians don't judge, right? That's what... (laughs) 
And they say, we're no different than you. It's exactly what was happening We pay here, taxes. <laughs> we pay our bills. It's the law of the land. We contribute to society. Mm-hmm. But righteousness and evil, talk about your standing with God where your heart is. It, and, and, well, it's so difficult. I am interested. I mean, they're not questions we can answer, but I am curious as to why it was so important to Lot that he bring these men into his household. He insisted, it says he insisted so strongly. You kind of wonder if Lot knew that they were angels. Well, he bows down and calls them lords, lowercase lords, masters. And Abraham did that previously. But at the same time, I, I know that it's part etiquette well you in verse 13 in chapter 13 it talks about don't forget to entertain strangers because right. in so doing you may be entertaining angels Un- so, unwittingly, so it was probably cultural there to always entertain every guest as possibly an angel and listen to what they said because i mean what guest just comes up to your house and says the city's going to be destroyed other than someone who's you know some prophetic I don't know. angel or something I don't know. I just think that was cultural at that time, for sure, to enter, to entertain strangers, no doubt. I wonder if it was obvious, like if they weren't in the form of men. I I mean, I don't know. Man means humanoid. They had two arms and two legs and a head and a torso and whatever. But if that might have been why it was so important to these men, I mean. Uh, part of the evil that filled the earth and the unforgivableness that God sent destruction for Noah was the fact that people were having sex with uh, yeah. sons of God, yeah. you know, fallen angels and so on so on and so forth. And uh, he, there there were coming humans that were, that were mutations, yeah. right? And perhaps these men were, weren't just desiring... Uh, to have sex but desiring what the sex might result in yeah and yeah that's complete inference i have i'm extrapolating a lot from very little that's given here it's you could even consider it extra biblical but uh it's an interesting thought to think about it's yeah that was back in genesis 6 wasn't that yeah and the other and i guess the most important question about this whole thing is the question about god's character and his wrath and the fact that God witnesses evil in the hearts of every man, and he chooses Sodom and Gomorrah to demonstrate his wrath on. But so often God hides his name from his wrath. I mean, I hate, I hate to say that. Maybe he doesn't hide his name. But when an earthquake... Sh- an earthquake erupts God doesn't always show up and say hey I did this that was this one was me you know uh, and it's certainly all deserved because all have fallen short of the glory of God but it it is a question of God's character he gives some men he lets some men continue sinning all the days of their life for years and years and years decades a century even and uh, he doesn't he doesn't incur his wrath upon them until the day they die and then some people he shows up and he says I'm taking my life from you now because of your sinfulness and 
that's something that we can't complain about. God gave us life. He's not stealing it from us. Our lives belong to him. All things in heaven and earth belong to God. And it's certainly not an evil thing for God to to take back what he lent us, what we borrowed. And so, but it is an interesting question about how how God decides and how he decides to glorify himself. I hate to go back. I hate to go back. This kind of brings up some of the, what you're saying there. If you go back to verse 18, it says in, in chapter chapter 18, I mean, verse 20, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is coming to me. And if not, I will know. It, you know, before we were talking about God being sovereign and that he knows everything, but there's obviously a lot of implications throughout Scripture that, I mean, God's sending these uh, angels to go and see for him. Well, if it's as bad, if 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 I will know. It's almost like God shields himself from sin and just distances himself. Well, it there's also a distance does between say, evil and God. But, it does say the Lord, uh, not God. And... Well, God, capital, capital Lord is, is the personal name. Actually, there's never a Lord that's a lowercase L in here. And, and no, actually, in mine it is. And uh, in Exodus... Bowed low to his face toward the ground to the lords. It was lowercase lords. Well, anyway... When it was the two angels. If you read forward in Exodus, uh, he says, The angel of my presence. And... There are situations where God sends angels, and they are called lords, and they are God, but they're not God. And it's I'm I'm interested in it too to to understand the difference between one and another. But I, just, I also I, wonder if God doesn't mean something else by seeing and witnessing. Does that make sense? Like when God says, "I see this," it's it, it doesn't mean it in the same way. It can't possibly mean it in the same way that we mean it. Here you know? it is, 19 verse 2. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, and it's lowercase l. In verse chapter 19 verse 2. Is yours lowercase l too? Um, that's blah, 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 that's blah. an implication that it's Mine not God anymore. Say it. Those are mas- Lord would be master in your lowercase. The capital one would be... But, I mean Lord, God, singular. But... You know what I'm saying, though. Yeah. When God says, I know something, it's not in the same way when a man says, I know. When God says, I see something, it can't possibly be in the same way that a man says, I see. I I wonder what he means when he says these things. It could mean anything, because if if God is all-powerful, I mean, can we choose to close the door and say, I don't want to see that? We can. Right. If we can do it, you think God would. I think we should leave it at that, right? If he wants to sh- close the door and to, to Sodom and Gomorrah, if he wants to send an angel to find out, he can do either. There's so. the verses of uh, in Psalms when at, uh, David's talking about his hidden sin, and he says, I hide my sins, but my sins are hidden from you, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, even the ones when they are hidden and even when God says your face is hidden from me or your sins hide you from me or there's distance it's not actually yeah. literal and 
John, what do you think about this? I think this applies to us. Uh, my wife and I were talking about this earlier today. In Genesis 19, verse 16, it says, And when he lingered, talking hesitated, about Lot, hesitated. The men, and this is talking about Lot, he, he lingered. He told him to get out of the city, go to the mountains. He lingers. I'm going to destroy this place. He lingers. I mean, how many times do we hear something, we know something that God wants us to do in our lives? And we're just like, uh, uh, there, there may be some evil, evil that's going to overtake me there. Or, you know, am I really prepared for that? Maybe I need to study for five more years to learn about, you know, this or that, so that I can present the gospel in a better way. Because I'm, you know, they may think I'm stupid or whatever. You know, there's always something. Yeah. There's a fear of man there that seems to overcome us, that keeps us from doing what God wants us to do, and we seem to linger. You know what? makes me excited though even though sometimes we linger what does God do he takes their hand he yanks them out of the city pulls them away into the mountain basically you know he carries them he's, he's taking them by the hand and I think I think that's important to realize that um, we have plans but the Lord you know ultimately he's he's the one that directs our steps doesn't he yeah. if we make him Lord and we can't put all the responsibility on ourselves, but we definitely have to put the responsibility of having faith upon. And I, I get disappointed in my uh, ability to re- reference scripture because I'm sitting here in Galatians and it's the loss. But I'm reminded of the verse where uh, Paul says, "Let us let go of the sin that so easily entangles us, mm-hmm. you know, and run the race." to God and we think about it and what makes us hesitate what makes us uh, linger and it's sin sin wraps itself around our minds and our hearts yeah. and it's like uh, trying to step away from vines that have creeped up around our feet and are, have caught us in a snare and we go to move our hearts toward God and they're caught they're ensnared they're entangled and we can't move it it's like yeah. in that dream when you're being chased and you your legs are heavy and you just can't move and God's got to do all the work. He he definitely he he definitely takes people by the hand and and pulls people from time to time and I'm glad I'm glad that he does come and intervene in this pathetic little society of ours because it's it's an evil place and if we if we don't find ourselves close to him it can be very dark for our own personal lives, and we, we. I honestly feel like we can either have the blessing or the curse on our own life. We can be like Sarah and given a, a newborn baby, and the blessings that come with with faith, as Abraham was, or we can give the curse, which is about to talk about here, when right. Lot's wife looks back and desires, or it doesn't say that, but he, she looks back. But you would think that what's she looking back for? What's the purpose? She either doesn't believe God's really going to destroy it, like. The the sons in law. She's looking for. She's not looking forward. That's for sure. She thought it wasn't going to happen, or, or she was looking back to something that was there. Maybe it's sinful. Maybe she personally had her own women mates or whatever. Maybe she was in the same way they were. Who Who knows? knows? Maybe there was a longing for sin there. We don't know. But do we want to find ourselves like Lot's wife, or do we want to find ourselves like Sarah's wife, who has? so many blessings ahead of us with so many children and, and so many gifts yeah. from God or, or do we want to find ourselves sitting there like a solid chunk of salt 
you know, dead in our sin. <laughs> I mean, serious. I mean, that yeah, seems no, to be the two I answers in Scripture. It always gives a blessing or a curse based upon where faith takes That's us. Very good. But all right, I'm I'm gonna read the. I guess you'd call it the ending credits of the Scripture here. It says early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. And that ends the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. It, ends, it, it begins with Abraham standing on a mountain, looking out over the plain, and that night everything is gone and and this is what you were saying before God remembered Abraham it wasn't necessarily Lot that was being spared because of some of Lot's righteousness but we brought this up last time and we won't, we're going to probably delete that podcast but yeah. it does attribute later on in the New Testament that the sins of these people vex the righteous soul of Lot it is true and I'm reminded of do you remember in Exodus when uh Moses comes down from the mountain and he finds the Israelites in revelry. And he says, everyone who wants to be saved, come to me. Don't stand near those people. Don't stand anywhere near them or else the fire of God will burn you up too. And I'm just interested in how it talks about how you get smited just for being in the general proximity that if God shoots lightning down from heaven to smite sinners he's not going to curb it a little bit to spare you you know and if God is going to spare is going to spare you he might wind up sparing a few sinners along with you and when we see that Lot's daughters we're about to read why aren't they pillars of salt I don't know Probably because they were with Lot. They they didn't happen to look back. And Noah's children sinned against God like almost immediately and brought the old sinful ways into the new world. It had just been cleaned up so much. I mean, if we're still alive, it's by the grace of God in our sin. And I, yeah, it could be that God was just sparing Abraham's daughters to carry on his seed. May it had nothing to do with their righteousness. And let's hope that, you know, they did at some point have faith in God as, as Lot seemed to. But it says in Second Peter 2, 7 through 8, it does mention Lot in the New Testament as a righteous person. It's hard for us to see that because obviously he, and we he don't want to read the intentions of Lot into what he did there because there may not have been any bad intentions and it may not have been necessarily sin. But to offer his two daughters to us definitely seems like some crazy nutty wicked person but it says and if he rescued Lot in Second Peter 2 7 through 8 a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard and uh, he sat in the city gates and I, I did hear a preacher talk about this in another podcast but he was basically saying by standing at the city gates, he participated in the sin of the city. Um, well, I don't I don't want to go into conjecture here. I just want to read what the verses are. and it, We can't read intentions into law, but we do know later on that he was called a righteous man. Whether it was by faith, it doesn't say that in Hebrews. He wasn't listed among the faithful. But um, what are your thoughts, Sean? And then we'll close. 
I don't know. I wonder if there weren't extra texts that didn't make it into the Bible that yeah. told more to the story. Yeah, maybe a story later on where he has faith, know. chooses God, but cleans the fact up his is, life. Uh, when you read these these verses and you keep yourself and your own sinfulness in mind and you open yourself to God reaching out for you, coming to save you in your own own life in this own world, maybe a little extra meaning comes out of it for you and hopefully some conviction too yeah i hate to say it but we all have sinned and it may not look near as bad as lot and that may be the point we all are able to come to faith in christ and let christ clean us up right Mm. all right on to the last part of chapter nine and then we're going to go to 20 in our next podcast